first Sunday of every month, we have our kids stay in service with us, to hang out with us, to do church together as a family. And what I wanted to do right now for the kids that are in here is just to invite you guys up right up front. You guys want to come come right up front and grab a seat right here, because I'm going to talk to you guys for just a couple minutes, okay? All right, excuse me. I'm just going to chat with them for a little bit, if that's cool with you guys. How you guys doing? Good. Now, I want to ask you guys a question, okay? What could you get for free? Now, I'm going to show you some things on the screen, okay? And what I want you to do is I want you to try to decide which thing on the screen will you most likely get for free, okay? Okay, of those three things on the screen, we've got a little Lego Star Wars set, we've got a little Happy Meal toy, and we've got a house, Okay, which of those three things do you think you're most likely to get for free? Yeah. The Happy Meal toy? Yeah? You think you're going to get the house for free? All right, keep dreaming, buddy. Yeah. Oh, you think the Star Wars set. All right. The McDonald's set, yeah? The Happy Meal toy? What do you think? The house? You think you're going to get the house too? Good luck. All right. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, most likely, right, you're going to get the Happy Meal toy for free, right? Now, what about these three things, okay? We've got a car, we've got a big fat stack of cash, and we've got some french fries. Which do you think are you most likely to get for free? Yeah. Fries. The fries, okay? The big stack of money. Oh. <laughs> Parents, are you paying attention to who's saying what? All right. <laughs> the french fries, yeah? The french fries. The fries. The money. All right. The fries with ketchup. Okay, yeah, I think we could throw in some ketchup too, right? The fries are most likely, right? What about the car? What about the car? Oh, you, you want the car for free? All right. Oh, it's uh, <laughs> yeah, the whole picture. Yeah, you could get the picture for free. What is the best thing that you've gotten for free? Air. Air is the best thing that you've gotten for free? Okay, yeah. Your mom. Ooh, that's a great answer. Your parents in Clash of Clans. Yes. A friend? Excellent. Yeah. God's love. Oh, man, you guys have great answers, right? Okay, so here's the thing about things that are free. I'm going to use some big words, okay? Greater value equals greater gratitude. Who knows what value means? Yeah. Money. Money. Okay, yeah. Value is how much it's worth. Yeah, give it up for him. That was a great answer. Good job. Now, what is... What does gratitude mean? Being thankful for something. Exactly. Being thankful for something. Yeah, let's clap for him too. That was a great answer. So greater value equals greater gratitude. So what that means, you can stop clapping now. That was perfect. Greater value equals greater gratitude. So in other words, the more something is worth that you're given for free, the more thankful you are, right? Like... If you get the french fries for free, you might be a little bit thankful. If you get the big stack of cash for free, you might be a little bit more thankful, right? Or if you get the car for free, if it's not just a picture of a car, but an actual real car that's drivable, and you're 16 years old and you have your license, right? That would be something you would be very, very thankful for, right? Right, exactly. The house you would be very thankful for free. The Lego Star Wars set you might be pretty thankful for. Unless you don't like Legos, which is possible, I guess. But I don't know why, because Legos are awesome. Let me show you guys a verse, okay? This is John 15, 13. It says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. 
Greater love has no one than this. So it's saying that the greatest gift that you can receive is someone giving up their life for you. The greatest gift you could receive is someone giving up their life for you because your life is the most valuable thing. I, I love that you said air was the best gift that you've received for free, you know, because in, in some sense it's kind of goofy, but at the same time, like, if we didn't have air, we wouldn't be alive, right? So you're kind of thankful for your life. Now, has someone ever done this? Do you know of someone that's ever done this? That's someone that's laid down their life for their friend? Someone that's died for somebody else? Yeah. Great answer. We're in church. Jesus is always a great answer, right? Yeah. Jesus laid down his life for his friends, right? Jesus died for you and for me. Yeah. Yeah, God. Great answer. Jesus' sacrifice was the greatest thing we could have ever been given, and it was given for free, right? So when you look at this question, what's the best thing you've gotten for free? That's Jesus' love. You said God's love, and that was a great, great answer. So what I'll tell you guys, and you can hold your question for a little bit later, okay? If you don't already have a relationship with Jesus, I want you to talk to your parents about that because you can have it for free, and it's the best thing you could ever get, right? Okay, kids, thanks for hanging out. Go back and sit with your parents. All right, parents, adults, you have to start listening now. Now, (laughs) we just wrapped up a series last week on priorities and going through looking at prioritizing God's way. So today is is kind of a standalone message, and it's something that I've just been chewing on and kind of processing through and and thinking about for a while now and just kind of reevaluating. Two days ago, we celebrated the 4th of July. And one thing I did, and and while I'm talking, open up in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, and that's where we're going to start this morning. Luke chapter 4. I think it was the day before, I think Thursday I posted this, but I asked this question. What does the word free mean to you? And I got a lot of great answers. I posted it on Facebook and got a lot of answers there. I texted a few people and asked. We sat and talked about it. Fourth of July, I had dinner with my parents and my siblings and Uh, We sat around and talked about it, and we got lots of different answers of what free means to you. And it also started some really great discussions. Some of you said that you got into this and talked about it with your family over the dinner table and, and really dove into what that word free means to you. And what I noticed is that the answers vary based on a number of different factors, but mostly the answers came from the person's history. As I read and heard a lot of these answers, I understood why those people were saying what they were, because most of the people that responded, I knew their story, I knew what was going on, and I said, oh, I get why you're answering in this way. I get why you're responding in that way. You know, one of the people I talked to really loves Costco. So Costco samples was an obvious answer of something that's free, right? For example, I wanted to point out this one, which I know is kind of small, but I'll read it to you. The answer was liberty. Having the ability to do various things apart from someone else stopping you. Having the ability to do various things apart from someone else stopping you. And this answer came from our very own Gria, who lived under communism in Romania and lived under apartheid rule in South Africa before coming to the U.S. 
So now that answer takes on a little bit of a different meaning, right? Having the ability to do various things apart from somebody else stopping you. What did he grow up under? People stopping him all the time, telling him, you can't do this, you can't do that. Watching life under apartheid rule and saying to certain people just because of the color of their skin, you can't go here, you can't do this. And him coming to the U.S. and seeing freedom in a very real and different way. But this, this question, you know, it, it definitely changes based on history. I mean, uh, what does culture tell us? What does culture tell us that, that freedom is? You know, we, we toss out this phrase often, it's a free country. I talked about this a while ago in a past sermon, but, you know, this phrase usually comes up, it's a free country, when someone is not able to do what they want. And this phrase is usually misunderstood to mean, well, I can do whatever I want to. Excuse me, sir, but I was sitting there. Hey, it's a free country. Or, I think you just cut in front of me in line. It's a free country. I had both of those said to me. And freedom often brings entitlement when it should bring gratitude. It often brings entitlement when it should bring gratitude. But you know what? I was, I was sitting and thinking about it as we're, as we're watching fireworks, uh, just this concept of freedom and the fact that we do have the liberty to do these things, especially because, you know, I'm sitting here watching the fireworks and right in front of me, there's a group of teenagers and all they're doing the whole time the fireworks are going off are taking pictures of each other, you know, and they're smiling and someone's over here and they're smiling with their buddy and the fireworks are going on over there and I almost wanted to tap them and be like, you're missing the show. You know, it's right over there. And they're like smiling and taking pictures and the flash is going off and they're like, oh, it hurt my eyes. I go, mine too, you know. Um, <laughs> but uh, what, what's going on in, in there is like, you know, they're enjoying their freedom. You know, no one's coming and telling them, hey, turn that off. Like, you have to watch the fireworks. You know, they're, they're, they're living in their, their liberty, in their freedom. And it was really cool. We got out our, our flag on Friday morning and hung it up and we were asking my almost five-year-old, what does freedom mean? He's like, man, I don't know. You know. And so we got to explain to him a little bit of what it means to be free and what it means to live in America, and especially around our religious freedom. And you know, we're able to worship God, and no one's going to come and stop us or take us to jail. And I saw his little five-year-old mind like trying to process that a little bit and go, oh, okay, I think I get that. But, but that's what culture kind of tells us about, about freedom. But what does the Bible tell us about freedom? Let's take a look at Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, and we're starting in verse 16. And Jesus came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. 
See, Jesus came bringing freedom. And to get a good grasp of what freedom is, we need to know what we are freed from. You know, I remember going over communism in school, uh, in high school, and remembering the comment of a friend going, wow, communism doesn't sound so bad. What? Hold on. And I don't think he had a firm grasp of all the intricacies of communism and, and what actually went on and what actually happened. He had forgotten what he had been freed from. You look at Egypt as well, you know, and here they are marching around. The Israelites are freed from Egypt, right? And they're marching around in the desert and they start to complain because they don't have the choice food that they used to have while they were in Egypt. And they're like, can't we just go back? Let's go back to Egypt. Man, the food was good there. You were in slavery. Hello? You're free now. Don't forget what you have been freed from. If you go back and remember what you've been freed from, you'll be more appreciative of your freedom. You'll get a better grasp of your freedom. And so this morning we're going to look at that. And uh, the verse we're focusing on today is Romans 8.2. It says, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Let me pray. Lord, we give this morning to you. And God, as I always ask, I uh, ask you once again to let my words get out of the way and let your words ring true this morning. God, as we talk about what it means to be free. And as we remember what we've been freed from, Lord, let us just be drawn deeper in love with you. God, please just allow us to hear what we need to hear. Allow the names of people that we need to talk to to be brought to our minds. Allow the things that we need to let go of, the things we need to confess to be brought forth, to be bubbled up, God, so that you can deal with them this morning. God, let this morning be about you and for you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are. The law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And of course... When we think freedom, often we think of the American flag. You know, and we think about America. But the question is, how much do you value this freedom that you have? You know, as I said with Gria, like, he has a deeper appreciation for it because he lived without it. You know, and how would we learn how to value our freedom better? Well, we would go back and study our country's history and even more so look at Great Britain beforehand. Look at what life was like in the colonies before America was free to really get a good grasp of what our freedom means. And in the same way, how do we learn how to value the freedom that we have in Christ? Well, we go back and look at what our state was before Christ set us free. What was, where were we at before Christ gave us our freedom? 
And a fair question to ask is, well, when do you become free? Well, we see that answer in Romans 8.1. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then it continues, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Did you catch where it was? There is therefore now no condemnation for who? Those who are in Christ Jesus. That's when you experience the freedom that God has for you. When you are in Christ Jesus. So if you haven't given over your life to Jesus, my challenge and encouragement to you is to listen carefully this morning. Because you'll hear plainly what Jesus saves you from and hopefully desire a lifelong relationship with Jesus where you too can experience true freedom. So Jesus came to set us free. Well, free from what? Uh, I've got some blanks for you to fill in if you're a blank fill-in person uh, on the back. Um, And here's the first one. Jesus came to set us free from sin. We see the the two things we're going to talk about this morning in Romans 8.2. It says, the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So that's what we're going to be looking at. Being free from sin and being free from death. Free from sin. Uh, John 8.31 says this and following. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We're offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? In other words, what what do we need freedom for? Why do we need to be free from? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So free from sin. So if you have accepted Christ, then you are free. I am free. Well, free from what? First, uh, free from past sins. Free from past sins. Psalm 103 verse 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. When you come to Christ, when you become a new creation, you are free from all those past sins. Everything that you've ever done is forgiven. That's, what, that's part of what you do when you come and give your life over to Christ, is you ask for that forgiveness. Lord, forgive me for my sins. I repent. Repent meaning turning around, going the opposite direction, saying, I'm done, and asking for that forgiveness. Where this sets in, I believe, and where this can come to be a challenge, especially for those who have been walking with Christ, is dealing with the concept of shame. Dealing with the concept of shame. This is something that I struggled with uh, for a while, and and sometimes uh, still can on occasion, You know, just looking back at past sins and being ashamed. Being ashamed of the things you've done. Being uh, embarrassed by who you were. I got to to hear someone talk about this who had a very colored and just filthy past. Um, You name it, she had done it. Um, And uh, someone asked her, 
do you experience shame over the things that you've done? And her response was, was so telling. She said, I, I used to struggle with it, but then I, I stopped and thought. And uh, this question popped into my mind. Do I believe that what Jesus did on the cross was enough? Do I believe that what Jesus did on the cross was enough to cover over all my sins, to forgive all my sins, to make me clean, to make me new? If I really believe that, if I really own that, then I don't need to have shame. I don't need to be ashamed because Christ has set me free. He has made me clean. We just sang about it. The cross has made you flawless. Do we need to look back and sometimes remember, man, Jesus, thank you for what you've saved me from? Absolutely. This is where I once was. But then the credit goes to Jesus because he came and forgave all those past sins. So there's no need to have any shame anymore. No need for shame. So I'm free from past sins. I'm also free from future sins. 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we've got this insurance card in a sense, you know. Man, like, Lord, I want to follow you, but you know what? I'm not perfect, and I, I feel like I'm going to make mistakes. Well, guess what? You are. And the beautiful thing is those sins are covered too. Those sins are covered by the cross. And we've been freed from those as well. But the careful thing, uh, the thing to be careful with about this is what Paul brings up in Romans chapter 6. As some people may look at that, or I've had conversations mostly with non-Christians, but asking, okay, well, you know, if, if Jesus forgave you of all your sins, then why don't you just go out and do whatever you want? You know? And, and Paul addresses that in Romans 6. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? In other words, hey, the more we sin, the more God forgives and the more grace is going on. So let's keep it up. Right? Let's keep on sinning so that we get more of God's grace. He says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? See, when you come to Christ, you're freed from sin. You're freed from having to live in sin. You're freed from having to commit sin. You're freed from a life of sin. So why live in that anymore? So don't look at this, okay, I'm freed from future sins. That means I can do whatever I want and Jesus is going to forgive me. No! That means we're going to stumble, we're going to make mistakes, but our focus should be living like Christ. Our focus should be abandoning that old way of living and marching on to a new way of living. We shouldn't be living in it anymore because we've died to sin. And so because of that, I need God's strength. In being free from sin, I need God's strength. Because Paul continues in talking about this in Romans 7, and he says, I find, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Right? For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Back and forth. 
I want to do right. Evil is right there with me. It's this constant struggle, this constant battle. He says, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Here's his answer. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Where does the credit go? Not to us. Not to us. You know, now I'm, I'm free from sin, so that means that I have the power to overcome sin. No. He's saying he's wrestling with this. Where does the power go? Where does the credit go? To God, not to him. I was just having a conversation this week um, with a guy, and he was talking to me about uh, a sin that, that he was struggling with, consistently struggling with. And a comment that he made to me, he said, um, you know, maybe, maybe I just don't have enough willpower to overcome it. I go... You don't. You're absolutely right. You do not have enough willpower to overcome it. And you know what the problem is with you saying that is that you are resting on your own strength. You are resting on your own power, your own laurels to be able to overcome this sin. But that's not your job. That's not within your power. That's not within your ability. You need to constantly be relying on Christ to set you free from those sins. You need to be constantly relying on His strength, His power. Anytime that you start thinking that you're able enough, that you're confident enough, Satan's excited about that. And he'll swoop in and trip you up. Guaranteed. When you start saying, I got this, I can do this, myself. Absolutely not. Uh, Paul addresses this again in 1 Corinthians In 1 Corinthians 10, verses 12 and 13, he says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. You think you're confident in, yeah, I'm I'm not struggling with that sin anymore. So I can, you know, let my guard down. I can start going back into the areas and the places that I used to be tempted because I've got this covered now. No, not at all. Take heed lest he fall. He says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. He provides the way of escape. Not you. God is faithful. Now, is there work that we need to do in that? Yes, absolutely. That you may be able to endure it. But you need to be relying on God for the strength to find that freedom from sin. You need to be relying on Him instead of just going, hey, I prayed that prayer, so that means I'm forgiven, so that means now I'm coasting. I've got this all covered. Absolutely not. Never. Now, here's the third thing I wanted to talk about with this idea of being free from sin. Is that anyone else can be free. Seems like a simple concept. But here's where I wanted to talk about this. Is, you know, it's, it's, it's beautiful to accept Christ's gift. It's, it's beautiful to live in freedom. But oftentimes, what can easily happen 
is I can have my freedom, and I can be excited about my freedom, and I can look over at somebody else and be like, hey, are you free too? Awesome, we're both free. Isn't freedom great? But yet there's all these people out there that are so desperately aching for freedom and don't have it. And oftentimes what I do in my own flesh is I decide in my mind who deserves freedom and who doesn't. I go, oh, that person can be free, but that person can't. No way. You know, you look at someone's actions and the things that they've done, and no, no, they don't deserve freedom. Absolutely not. We'll take a look at this verse here. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. It says this. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Absolutely 100% true. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So beautiful. And it's so good to be taken back and reminded where we were. And such were some of you. In the news, there, uh, there's been a lot of buzz around people leaving kids in their, uh, in their cars and, you know, the kids dying because of it. And this one guy was arrested, you know, because of that. And um, some people look at that and uh, there, there's been a bunch of comments and a bunch of things tossed out, you know, and a lot of people have said, he should rot in hell. Well, so should you. And so should I. But it's hard to look at somebody like that, somebody that does those kind of things and go, they don't deserve freedom. Neither do I. Neither do you. None of us do. And it's a hard concept to grasp onto sometimes when we look at some people and look at the things that they do. But man, God offers them the same freedom that he's offered you and that he's offered me. Freedom from sin. Freedom to come. And, and, and live a life with Jesus. Now, of course, this does not make us free from earthly consequences of sin. The things that we do, we still have to pay earthly consequences for. But it does free us from death. And by death, I mean hell. Just to be clear. Uh, not physical death, but I'm talking about Spiritual death, separation from God. Uh, in youth group, we've been talking about heaven a whole bunch. Uh, in the fall, we went through a series on the book of Revelation. That was a lot of fun, taking middle schoolers and high schoolers through the book of Revelation. Um, because it's such an easy book to understand, you know? I mean, it's just like, oh, yeah, I totally get it, right? And then, because that was just so easy, we decided to dive into NBC's doctrinal statement in the spring and go through that. One light read after another. But we talked a lot about uh, what the scripture tells us about heaven and, and looked at it. And man, like, just going through that, like, I got stoked about heaven and excited about it. It's a wonderful place. It's a place where we get to be in the presence of God for eternity. And the last time we also talked about hell. 
And if heaven is so much more wonderful than we could ever imagine, then hell will be so much more horrible than we could imagine. If heaven is where God is and where we get to bask in His glory for all of eternity, then hell is where God isn't. Where one is absent from Him for eternity. So I just wanted to toss out a few things about hell. Because we need to be reminded what we've been set free from. First of all, hell is real. Hell is real. It seems that eternity is once again in the limelight as we've got movies like Heaven is for Real and a growing number of people talking about hell and, and, and this rising belief that there isn't a literal hell. In fact, uh, as I was doing some studying and research for this, um, for this sermon, I came across a website that's got a bunch of Bible verses and is using it uh, using these Bible verses in such a way and twisting them to show that Jesus never really talked about hell and uh, how every, you know, everyone, once they die, sure, they're, they're sent into uh, a heaven or a hell, but it's only for a short period of time. And then after that, everyone from hell is going to be raised up and we're all going to be in heaven with him forever regardless of what we've done, regardless of whether we've accepted him as Lord or not. Every single person is going to come out of that little time of punishment and then they're all going to be up in heaven forever. And I'm looking at that going, really? Seriously? Like, that's what you got out of this? Are we not reading the same book? You know? And, and it just bugged me. It bothered me. But, you know, because it's such a bad thing to talk about, like, people don't like to talk about hell. Well, no, 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 no. God is loving. And of course he's going to let everyone into heaven, you know, because he's such a loving God and he's forgiving. Because if, if, if God is loving and forgiving, then he can't send anybody to hell. Right? That's logical. No, absolutely not. Because what you're forgetting is that God is also just. And he is going to do what's right. And he is going to judge fairly. Jesus spoke about hell. Scripture speaks about hell. So if you believe in the Bible like I do, you should believe in hell or have a lot of explaining to do. And boy, did they try a lot and boy, did they make a lot of mistakes. John 5, 28 to 29, Jesus is speaking. He says, do not marvel at this for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out and those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. If that isn't plain enough, Matthew 7 Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Hell is real. And eternal punishment is real. And that's the second point, is that hell is eternal. It's not this like finite thing that, okay, you were bad, you, you served your time, and now you can go to heaven. Or some other people are saying, well, hell, uh, yes, is real, but again, it's also finite, and after you've served your time or dealt with your punishment, you just can cease to exist, and that's it. You know, it's just, it's just temporary. 
Right? Like, yes, you're going to be punished, but you're going to be punished for a certain amount of time, and then you're done. Mark 9.43, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. In Matthew 25.31-46, uh, this is Jesus talking about um, uh, when he comes back and he's sitting on his throne and everyone's gathered before him, right? And he's separating the sheep on, or sorry, that's your right, that's my left. Uh, the sheep on the right, here, we'll do it this way. The sheep on the right and the goats on the left, right? And he's separating everyone out and then he's saying, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom. I was hungry, you gave me food, thirsty, you gave me drink, so on and so forth. Lord, when did we do that? Whenever you did it for the least of these, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. Thirsty, you gave me no drink. So on and so forth. Then they will uh, also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, stranger, naked, sick, in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Hell is eternal. Uh, finally, whoops, wrong way. Hell is deserved. Hell is deserved. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. It's deserved. We deserve hell. Every single one of us. Because we know in Romans 3 that it says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us has made those mistakes. Every single one of us deserves hell, deserves death. We all deserve to, as people have been posting about that guy, we all deserve to rot in hell. Why? Because God can't stand sin. God can't stand the sight of sin. God can't be in the presence of sin. And so because of that, he cannot allow us into heaven because we have all sinned. And as those who follow Christ know, this is where he steps in. He took what we deserved. He paid the price. Let me point you back to these uh, lyrics from the song we just sang. Could it possibly be that we simply can't believe that this unconditional kind of love would be enough to take a filthy wretch like this and wrap him up in righteousness? But that's exactly what he did. Isn't that beautiful? That's exactly what he did. He took garbage. He took filthy people, and wrapped us up in righteousness so that when God sees us, He sees purity. He sees flawlessness. He sees cleansed. And then at the end it says, no matter what they say or what you think you are, the day you called His name, He made you flawless. The day you called his name, he made you flawless. God cleansed you, God cleansed me. So that we could truly be free from sin, free from death. We don't have to spend eternity apart from him. 
but rather we get to spend eternity with him in heaven. So this is what he's, we're freed from. What are we freed to? And we see the answer again in Romans 8.2. So it says, from, set you free from the law of sin and death. Well, free in Christ Jesus. We are free to Jesus. To his love, his forgiveness, his grace, his compassion, his way of doing things. We are free to follow after him. We're free to run after him. We're free to love him. And when we come to him and say, Jesus, I want to be free, we're free to live his way instead of ours. That's one thing I talk to a lot of people about, thing, people that are asking me about my faith. Well, well what's the deal? You know, why do you follow Jesus? I go, well, I just realized I couldn't live life on my terms. I tried living life my way. I tried living life the way that I thought was best, and I kept messing it up. But when I started living life his way, when I started following after what he was telling me to do, I was transformed. I was changed. I wanted to bring you back to this. What does free mean to you? Because I wanted to point out one other one. Someone said, without cost to the recipient. And that little tag at the end, without cost to the recipient, is huge. Because you could look at free and go, oh, it's without cost. Sure. I actually almost typed that in as I was typing this up. Oh, without cost. Nope, nope, nope. We need those last three words to the recipient. Because there's no such thing as something that is totally free. Because it always costs somebody something. You, know, you think about those french fries. Somebody had to pay for the potatoes. It had to come from somewhere. Somebody had to do the work to grow them. You think about that Happy Meal toy. Somebody put it together. Somebody paid for the... You know, it, it comes from something. And you think about the freedom that we have There was cost. Jesus' cost was high. He gave his life for you and for me so we could be truly free. Free from all of our sin. Past, present, future. Free from hell. Separation from God. And free to be with him. To have a relationship with him. So I want to invite the band up, and as I do, I wanted just to to give you this, this action item. It's only one. First of all, if you haven't accepted the free gift that Jesus offers to you, today is the day. Please come talk to me or one of the elders. Elders in the room, stand up. I see Gria here. Is there anybody else? Yeah. Go talk to Gria. Talk to myself. We would love to pray with you. We'd love to talk to you. But don't let today go by without experiencing true freedom. And if you've already accepted the free gift that Jesus offered to you, first of all, just take time and remember what you've been freed from. What you've been freed from. And then, think of those that don't have it. That don't know true freedom. Pray for them. Write their name down. Ask a friend to pray with you. But don't wait. Go and give them, point them to the true freedom 
that they desperately need. Let me pray. Lord, you you freed us. I, I don't know why. I know that I don't deserve it. But I'm so thankful that you did. And in doing so, you made me something that I would never be able to be on my own. Flawless. Perfect. Clean. Whole. Free from sin. Free from death. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Lord, don't ever let me forget what my freedom really means what my freedom cost and who around me needs freedom as well. God, give me the courage and boldness to go and talk to those that I need to to point them to you. And thank you so much for what you've done for me. In Jesus' name, amen.